0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, farming, feelings, the future, finances, and the fundamentals of your business in agriculture. You know, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to have a podcast here on episode 47. What's in the news and what's in Damian's head? You know, I got all kinds of stuff. I just came off the road. Uh, Friday. uh, I'm recording this on a weekend Saturday because us farm people work every day of the week and we know how that is. So I had a big week. I left Sunday morning and was pretty slammed uh, and I actually did six speaking engagements over seven days time. Uh, tons of different agricultural organizations. I did seed. I did a banking group, small business group. So it's been a really great week. And I have a lot of stuff in my head from my travels, from my reading, and also from the different organizations I have spoken to. So I kind of thought it'd be a fun deal to say, what's in the news and what's in Damien's head? I'm recording this on August 4th, just to put it in perspective. So if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're saying, I don't know if that's in the news anymore. Well, just put it in perspective. This is August of 2018. First thing, and this is something I've talked about before, if you uh, believe this to be as big of an issue as I believe it to be, go back to episode, I think 36, a couple of months ago, where I talked about lawsuits against animal agriculture. So what we're talking about here, because it's in the news again right now, i got a Wall Street Journal article I'm holding in my hands, Smithfield Uh, That's the huge pork production company, Chinese owned, has lost its third lawsuit in a row in North Carolina. So we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about trade issues, all kinds of things going on there, because everywhere I go, every audience I talk to, what's your thought about this? And then, of course, we're going to talk about some other things I see in the business of agriculture right here in the summer of 2018. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the future and what you can do to be even more productive, more prosperous, more happy and successful in the enterprise that you operate within the business of agriculture. So uh, I do appreciate you joining me. You know, I try to always keep it interesting. We make sure that we bring up new and interesting topics and we're going to revisit a couple things we have in the past, but that's because the world has changed. In May, I recorded the podcast, and this is our first topic here, about the pork lawsuit. So if you are familiar, or even if you are not, I'll go ahead and just give you a quick recap. Smithfield, the Chinese production company, uh, you know they bought Smithfield like what was that four, five, six years ago, and everybody raised a stink over that. Now the new stink, the new stink, is there are like 35 or 37 lawsuits in the state of North Carolina representing about 500 different people, legal complaints. The first one happened in May. The first one was determined in May. It's a federal, it was in federal court. And Smithfield, actually Murphy Brown, that's the production side, uh, hog production side. I think Smithfield is more known as the processing side. Murphy Brown is a subsidiary of Smithfield. And what they do, in case you don't understand how hog production works today and in this day and age, you know, it's not like the old days when I was a kid, everybody that was a grain farmer. Uh, either had some farrowing uh, pens and maybe farrowed hogs and then maybe they would just buy feeder pigs and they'd throw a, throw some feeder pigs in one of their barns and they used it as their cash flow for slow months, etc. Well, it's not that way so much anymore. Hog production now is uh, more vertically integrated and so there will be this large producer that hires contract growers. The contract growers then produce pork based on a pig per day per space thing. They get compensated, uh, bonuses if there's uh, good productivity, efficiencies, uh, disease-free, uh, you know, injury problems, if you minimize all those things. So it's all on a contractual basis. Murphy Brown has contract growers, and I believe the name of the first case was somebody named Williams in North Carolina. To put in perspective, North Carolina is a huge hog state. Uh, I think they're second behind Iowa, it's a $2.9 billion industry there in North Carolina. They don't produce as many pounds of pork because they do a lot of the farrowing there. For instance, I know people here in Indiana that have contracts, they put up a pig barn, maybe put 4,000 pigs in that barn, they get their piglets from operations in North Carolina, ship these little 11 to 12 pound piggies here. They put them in these pins and they keep working their way up, you know, and get them on different rations to grow them. And that way, the consumer can have beautiful, tasty, wonderful, safe, and efficiently raised pork chops, pork, loin, bacon, and ham. My favorite. I just had a ham, egg, and cheese sandwich for brunch today. Mm. So here's what we got to figure out as an industry. These lawsuits are truly possibly going to lawsuit us out of business. Here's why I'm bringing this up. I know I covered it before. This is a uh, the third lawsuit that's been determined, and it's third in a row that Smithfield has lost. So I'll give you a couple of quickies here. This is just from, uh, this, from last night's Wall Street Journal. A federal jury awarded more than $470 million to six neighbors. Did you hear that? $470 million to six neighbors. Who live near a hog farm run by a contractor for pork giant Smithfield Foods, Inc. The third lawsuit in a row the company has lost over odor and noise created by hog farming. So these are all in North Carolina. The way this all started because, you know, a couple people were squawking about, okay, it stinks down the road. I don't like the smell of these pigs. It's noisy. We gotta do something about this. And then, of course, the environmental groups came in. See, that's what you're not seeing. You're, you're reading this and you're saying, well, I guess, you know, I could see that. Somebody's bitching because their, their place stinks like pig mirror. I would probably have a complaint if if uh, my beautiful home and my little swimming pond out here, and next door, you know, next door, they build some monstrous hog operation, but there's the issue of them being grandfathered in. And I have pointed out also, even though I'm pro-agriculture like you've never seen before, I think we also must admit willingly that we have some culpability as an industry because For instance, the veal operation across the road from me, where I live. You can say, well, it was there first. It was there before I bought this farm, but my farm was here before the veal operation. My farm was built in the 1800s, so the the veal barns were put up in the 1970s and 80s. There's three veal barns. I don't complain about the smell. Yes, it stinks like sour milk on a humid day, and it stinks like calf poop. I don't complain because I'm a pro-ag guy. But what if those three veal barns increased to 30? If they 10 times themselves, would there be an issue then? Of course there would, because you'd say, oh my God, it's so unbearable. I can't even go out here in my yard. I can't even sit on my patio and drink a beer at the end of the day. There is some culpability. There's some liability that agriculture probably should admit uh, admit to, but at what cost we'll try and get better at handling our manure. Like for instance, my dairy farmer that rents my ground puts on dry manure that has very little odor that's been uh, uh, dehydrated, or he puts in liquid manure and knifes it into the ground. So I'm not sure what the manure handling rules are in North Carolina. Uh, Anybody that listens to this and is from North Carolina, you can fill me in, but I can tell you, based on all of my research, none of these hog farms did anything illegal. They have not broken one law, not one regulation. Not one rule has been broken, yet they're being held accountable for property damage and liability. And again, this is not even just about property liability because you could almost understand that. Hey, I've got two acres and a house over here. It's not worth as much. It was worth $200,000 now it's only worth $120,000 because uh, nobody wants to live next to your hog farm. Then you'd say, okay, there's an $80,000 liability there. The point I'm going to make to you is... None of this has anything to do now with what just is property compensation. It's about punitive damages. $470 million to six neighbors, good God. There's not a home or property in, North, in rural North Carolina that is worth 85 to $90 million, come on, to six neighbors. But the article goes on to say that this award will be reduced to about $94 million. And you'd say, oh, well, that's a victory. Well, it's hardly a victory because Friday's award will be reduced to $94 million. That's, again, to six neighbors. That's $16 million per neighbor. Can you afford to pay $16 million to each of your neighbors that complains about your agricultural enterprise? Likely not. So how is that a victory? It's not. In the first case, in the, the awards were reduced to about $325,000 per neighbor more reasonable, but still go and go up and down the road and say uh, within three miles of your agricultural enterprise, no matter what you do, maybe you don't even have an agricultural enterprise, but just assume you did. Could you pay each of your neighbors $325,000? And then let's define neighbor. Is that within a quarter mile, half mile, mile and a half, three miles? These are issues that we're going to have to deal with. I don't know that we have a great answer Because we are completely outnumbered. There's 1% of us that farm, 7% of us that are peripherally involved in agriculture. So at best, we're at 93 to 7 against us. Also, we're completely more urbanized, suburbanized, and removed from the business of agriculture. The other thing that you haven't probably realized is that these lawsuits have a tremendous amount of footing from trial lawyers. Of course, if you're a plaintiff's attorney, you smell money. $94 $94 million, usually the plaintiff's attorney get one-third that they represent. So they take this on a contingent say, we'll take one-third if we win. One-third of $94 million is a hell of a lot of money for some attorneys. So you don't think there's going to be more attorneys chasing these kinds of suits? Of course there are going to be more attorneys chasing these kinds of lawsuits. That's what they do. They chase ambulances. They're going to chase now after every hog farm, turkey farm, chicken farm, hen house, beef feed yard, dairy operation. That's what they're going to do what we as an industry probably need to consider is uh, how we're going to uh, take this on because we've lost three for three in north carolina and that's just the beginning of it there's 30 more cases in north carolina alone 30 more some 500 500 legal complaints, and we've only heard this one was six, the first one was 10, and I don't know about the second one. So we're only through like 15, 25, 30 of these. We've got 500 complaints. So we got like 30 more lawsuits to be determined. At $94 million per lawsuit, it's going to get really damn expensive. And all of a sudden, Smithfield, a Chinese company, so I find completely interesting. We're out here squawking that trade deals, tariffs, tariffs by Donald Trump are going to ruin the ag economy. The same people that are squawking about that are sitting on a jury in Raleigh, North Carolina, awarding $94 million to a neighbor that's going to put this hog operation out of business. You think China, which owns Smithfield, isn't going to just yank these operations? Of course they will. They'll go offshore. Brazil would love to have more of a hog production uh, business. Other countries might just absorb this. If ag gets lawsuited out of business, where do these things go? It's a $2.9 billion industry in North Carolina. What about Illinois? What about Indiana, my home state? What about Iowa, which is the biggest hog state in the Union? North Carolina is just one place. Minnesota, of course. Missouri. You can go on, on, on. Nebraska. So I'm concerned about that. I'm not sure that we have a leg to stand on. Production can move offshore. We can get lawsuited out of business. It doesn't need to be about a law. Clearly, there's been no laws broken. Let's admit there is some liability. Let's say, okay, we'll do a better job of handling our manure. That's what we should do as an industry. Say, we're going to do a better job of handling our manure. We understand. We've, we've probably been a little bit slack on this. Okay, we're going to do a better job of handling our manure. That will appease the neighbors and will also give us a tremendous PR with the non-fringe, the wacko fringe. Now, these plaintiffs have a tremendous amount of backing, not just from their attorneys, that they stand to make a ton of money by stealing it from these agricultural enterprises. They also have a ton of backing from PETA. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, Humane Society of the United States. Remember, they don't want humane treatment. They do not want ethical treatment. What these organizations want is there for, for there to be no animals. They don't want there to be pig farms or hen houses or dairy operations or beef feed yards. They want there to be no leather in your closet. They want there to be no protein on your plate, at least of a animal variety. So those organizations are working behind the scenes to recruit neighbors to sue. I'll give you an example here. This lawsuit in North Carolina, and I am quoting, this is Nama Muhammad, Naima Muhammad, who's the co-director of the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network. And Naima says it's about time somebody held them accountable for all the damage they have done to people. So this is the message from the environmental groups. Environmental working group already hates agriculture. Uh, there's going to be more and more of these sorts of organizations that are going to come out of the woodwork. They think we use too much water. They think there's too much methane gas. Oh, greenhouse gases, you eat steak. That means you're killing the earth. That's the angle. So you've got the plaintiff's attorneys. You've got the environmental uh, wacko fringe group that's going to try and recruit and probably even subsidize to get more lawsuits against animal agriculture because this is their new method. They know, well, we can't outlaw of Americans eat meat. 98% of Canadians eat meat, egg, cheese, milk. They're not going to get us outlawed, so they can instead try to lawsuit us out of business. That's gonna be the angle from the animal rights wackos and the environmental wackos. What can we do as an industry? Well, it looks like it's starting to happen. Thank God, in North Carolina. U.S. Senator Tom Tillis said the lawsuit and similar pending cases against Smithfield pose a threat to agriculture nationwide. At a roundtable on the lawsuits at the state fairgrounds on Friday, which is after this announcement came out, after this third lawsuit went against Ag, at a roundtable, he pledged to hold hearings and potentially introduce legislation to protect farmers from being sued over smells, dust, and other byproducts of producing food. Good luck, because remember, it was only a couple of years ago. That the Environmental Protection Agency, under President Obama, with a very activist agenda and activist uh, executive director for the EPA, sought to regulate dust. Think about that at the federal level. If you're out working in a field and it happens to be a dry day and you're throwing dust, you are going to be regulated. That was a few years ago when EPA was toying around with that. That's before they got hopping on the waters of the United States where they're going to regulate every mud puddle on your property. I'm concerned about this because I think we're completely outnumbered. My stance would be to have a heavier bat, to swing a heavier bat at the federal level and at the state level with our government because they know the $2.9 billion of industry and they also know the one good thing about government, they've known this for several hundred years here in the United States. A well-fed populace is a placid, peaceful, non-revolting populace. And we're doing that here in the United States. Remember, we got 45 million of us. Out of 320 million Americans, 45 million of them are on food stamps. They feed the heck of you sit still long enough, by God, we'll feed you. We're feeding people so well here in Huntington, Indiana, we're gonna replace those little electric scooters at Walmart with full-blown SUVs. We got some biggins. So I believe that the government at least understands. The more that you allow this, the more that this is allowed to happen, this pilfering of money through the court system of agriculture, the more it stands to upset the food supply or make the food supply prohibitively expensive. And nobody in government wants that because they want cheap food for the masses. That's been the policy of the USDA. It's been its guiding principle for over a century. We also should push the angle of national security, this is probably uh, something that the Farm Bureau, the Farmers' Leagues, I mean, any of these organizations, the National Pork Producers' Council, all agriculture should get together, the Farmers' and Ranchers' Alliance, and instead of all the same old happy horseshit that we do, which is, this is, always bugs me, our organizations, our farm bureaus, and our farmer and rancher alliances, they always want to play nice. Oh, we're just going to play nice. We'll just go along to get along. No, it's time for us to take a little bit more of a hard stance. And what I say when I mean that, what I mean when I say that is very simply, we need to go, hey, you want to lawsuit us out of business? The one great thing about the United States of America is that we have always had a tremendous amount of food supply. That's the reason we are great. The reason we have 25% of the global economy is because we started off by being an agrarian society. We produce the heck out of food. You want to lawsuit us out of business? You want us to leave offshore? Companies are going to leave. Smithfield's already Chinese-owned. What the hell do they care? They can leave. They're here because it's cheap soybeans, cheap corn, and Smithfield had a tremendous system in place, as did Murphy Brown. These companies can leave, and that leaves us vulnerable. So national security is an angle that we should push on this. Price matters a little bit, but remember, Americans don't really care that much about the price of food. So you can say, hey, your food's going to go up because of these lawsuits. That affects some people, but in general, Americans don't. Have that much motivation about cheap food because their food has been so cheap for so long they don't really value it national security might be a bigger angle than price and then of course there's choice when you when we take the angle that listen these lawsuits are being funded by environmental wackos fringe organizations and anti-meat crowds then all of a sudden you get a little bit of backing from normal america that says hey wait a minute I don't want my pork chops to go away just because some wacko organization and some ambulance chaser. So we need to change the tide on our PR. That's what we need to do is take a very active role as an industry and say, look what they are trying to do to us and what that will do to you. So we need to stop playing nice instead of going in there and saying, well, gosh, I'm a farmer and I work hard. No. You go in there and you say, this is what these activists are trying to do. They're trying to take meat off your plate. They're trying to take pork chops away from you, leather shoes from you, and that's their agenda. They're being funded by animal rights, wackos, and environmental extremists. We can finally admit some liability and say, all right, we're going to do a little better job of handling our manure. Okay? And then also the big angle is every time you want to demonize something, when we are demonized, it's always big ag, factory farms, industrial agriculture. Pose the question back: What is too big? More importantly, what would be the right size? If there's if four thousand seven hundred pigs on this one operation bother you so much, what would be the right size? Forty seven hundred is too many. Would four hundred and seventy? Would that be okay? What about just seventy? Maybe forty seven? About twenty? How big is too big? How little is too little? And that's the question you keep asking these people until you say, what would be appropriate? 10 pigs stink, 1,000 pigs stink more, 10,000 pigs might stink a little more. I don't know the answer. Is size and scale of agriculture what's really on trial here? I don't think so. I think it's more of a money grab. Okay, I said we're going to talk about what's in the news and what's in my head. I got a little carried away on that one because it's so important to me. I believe that we are going to face this again and again and again in other states because I know how trends work and I know how plaintiff's attorneys work and I know how government works. There are as many people that are going to think this is a wonderful thing in government as there are that are opposed to it. We are 0 for 3 in North Carolina on these lawsuits. What do I think they need? I think they need me to come down and advise their attorneys because I can give them a little better argument. You're not an attorney, Damien. You're an agricultural economics major. That's exactly right. I know what motivates people. I've also been in comedy for years and years and years. I know how to talk to crowds, probably better than some of these attorneys are. So bring me in. That's me. Bring me off the bench. I'm Damien Mason. You're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast. I promised you we're also going to cover what's in Damien's head, not just what's in the news. So let's go with what's in the news and what's in my head. We've been basically getting stuff out of my head. All right, trade. Everybody's concerned about trade. Like I said, here it is. It's August. We've been uh, a lot of saber rattling that's been going on since spring. I got in trouble from a few ag people because I came on and I said, don't run for the exit screaming fire. Agriculture, stop losing your mind. It's going to work out. And then, of course, I had people that took that as a political statement because they don't like Trump. So they said, oh, well, you know, it's easy for you to say. You don't have three bins full of soybeans. Okay, first off, did you, did you really wait until soybeans got to be $8.25 to start marketing? Did you not really sell some ahead when they were in the 10 to ten fifty range? Secondly, my point is not going to do with trying to cause you distress. I don't want you to lose money. I want you to make money. I'm all about This is the business of agriculture. I want you to be prosperous in the business of agriculture. But let's also admit, these trade deals that we've had weren't always good for the United States of America. Now, I know that some Canadians are listening to my podcast, and I love you up north. I love the Canadians. And I know that I just saw another article that you are boycotting. I hear this Canadians are boycotting. They're going to the grocery store, boycotting the U.S. They're boycotting America. Let's just admit that this is all going to be fine in a little bit of time. You know, we're closer to a good new trade arrangement with Mexico, and Mexico buys a whole bunch of our poultry and our corn and our pork. We want them to be a trading partner but there is a bit of a trade deficit, and there was a couple things about NAFTA that were kind of screwing the United States. I can see us pushing for a little better deal. Did you notice, a week ago, the European Union representative came over to the United States, and they say, well, we didn't exactly get as much agreed to as Mr. Donald Trump says, but we did get to a point where we're going to agree to something. My point would be this. The European Union got told really frankly, you want to keep sending Audis, BMWs, Uh, Italian-made race cars over here? You want to keep sending over all of your European stuff? We are 25% of the globe's economy. Europe, you might need us as well as we need you. By God, let's play ball. You know that they put a 25, speaking of 25%, they put a 25% tariff on automobiles that go to the U.S., to to Europe from the U.S., and we put a 2.5% on them. It's time to realign that. Also, they've been a Booger for us, for agriculture forever. Oh, they can't have GMOs, and oh, and it's this, and it's that. Beef, they've been bitching about that, and then France has been protecting their farmers for 100 years. It's about time the European Union got a little shakedown, and they did, and they got a lot more agreeable. I believe that we'll get to a better terms with Mexico very, very soon. I believe that Canada will be next on the list. Canada and the United States cannot Cannot not coexist. We're going to be fine, people. So my thoughts are: better deals are being put together, and once we got a little bit firm with Europe, it became very apparent that they want to work things out. They have been, they have been the recipient of better deals than we have. I think it's time for the USA to actually realize its strength. It's the first time we've done so. I know agriculture is getting used as the as the uh, chess piece, which always happens. Food and agriculture are always bargaining chips and chess pieces and trade disputes. We use food to win over countries. We go to third world countries, give them food aid so that they'll like us. And then in the meantime, we might prop up their, you know, their new ruler. We, uh, we meddle in elections, believe it or not. Even though the Russians have been accused of meddling in our election, we meddle in elections all across the whole globe, have for years. We use food a lot of times to help achieve an agenda. So I believe it's time for the United States to realize, hey, we do have a pretty good strength. We need China, that is true. China needs us. We are their biggest consumer. We buy a lot of their crap. $500 billion a year of their crap. $385 billion trade deficit. So getting hard with these people isn't going to hurt us. I know there's going to be a little short-term burn. Now, it was July 11th, Sonny Perdue, our Secretary of Agriculture, put an op-ed piece out in the USA Today. Did anybody read it besides me? And that's where he pledged we would have support. And not long after that, the presidency... I'm sorry, the the Secretary of Agriculture announced that there's up to $12 billion that could be in line for the American farmers. And I know the people are saying, oh, this sounds like some sort of socialism, and it doesn't sell. We'd really have trade. I believe we will get trade. The purpose of that announcement was very, very clear to me. We're going to prove that we will be here to support agriculture if it comes down to that. I personally don't believe any of that $12 billion will ever actually get thrown at us in way of programs, a small portion of it will, a little short-term relief, because I'm convinced by fall we will have, you can mark my words, here it is August 4th while I'm recording this, I believe that by October we will have better trade deals in place. Mexico, Canada, the European Union and us are gonna get some things straightened out. They agreed to take more soybeans, that's the tip of the iceberg. They need to be taking more of our beef also. They need to be a little bit more agreeable on many other things. And again, agriculture is just part of that. It is the bargaining chip. It is the chess piece, but it is just a part of it. Remember, cars and steel and aluminum are kind of the biggies right there. Okay. And by the way, did anybody else read this? Wheat prices are climbing because the world is scorching. I'm convinced we're going to end up with some pretty good numbers here across the board, because when we get through the trade arrangements and Canada stops boycotting us, when we finally get things straightened out with our friends to the north, and Mexico and us, and we reshape NAFTA, there's already talk that TPP is back on the table. That's right. It wasn't the end of the world to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, folks, because it was going to happen if Hillary had been elected, and it did happen because Trump got elected. But look at it this way. The Trans-Pacific Partnership is a multilateral situation. There's like, what, 13 countries involved? And this presidency says, we'd rather have unilateral arrangements, You know, just one-on-one kind of deals. But there's talk that TPP is going to come back into the fold. So all of a sudden, we got a little short-term pain. We got some long-term potential gain. That's my stance on trade. I think we're going to be fine, and I will bring up the bigger point. We need trade. Yes, we do. But trade is not going to be a silver bullet. Everyone still believes in agriculture. If we just could if we just didn't mess around with China and have those tariffs, we'd be back to sixteen dollar beans and seven dollar corn. No, we wouldn't. We've got too much milk, we've got too much corn. We're close to having too much soybeans. It's just the way it goes. Production always catches up trade is not going to be a silver bullet. Will it keep us afloat? Absolutely. Do we need it? There's no question. Do we need to sell more stuff overseas? Sure. Absolutely. Is it going to prop up agriculture? Yes. Is it going to make us enriched like we were in 2006 to 2013, the boom cycle? No, because worldwide production caught up. I still maintain that we have really good opportunities to probably cement some new trade deals with countries we haven't been selling to you know, China goes away, and all of a sudden, uh, for a little while, we open up some new trade deals. But again, never think of trade as the silver bullet. United States of Agriculture, United States of America, agriculture has thought for too long we just produce this commodity, throw it on a barge, and somebody overseas is going to buy it. Ukraine learned to produce crops. China learned how to produce crops. South Africa, Argentina, Brazil, Pakistan, you name it. India, Kazakhstan, it goes on and on and on. We're going to have trade. If I'm wrong, you guys can all call me up and tell me I didn't know what I was talking about. But I'd say by October, we're going to have better trade arrangements already in place because this thing's moving fast. All right. Last thought I want to share with you. I had such a good time on the road. I talked to seed companies, talked to banker people, small business people. Man, oh, man, it was a great time on the road. And there's one thing that I came up with in front of one of these audiences. I actually worked a field day. I don't do that very much anymore, but they had like 400 people at this field day. And, and they said, Damien, you know, we want you to be funny, but we also need to talk about this business, business of agriculture. Well, give us a couple of messages. And one message I gave to them, you cannot skimp your way to prosperity. You cannot save your way to prosperity. Now, I know we got to be frugal, and we as agricultural people are frugal. We are productive, and we also are, always watch our nickels. But we sometimes watch our nickels to our detriment. Okay, right now, things are a little light. Right now, we're concerned a little bit about some of these prices. I get that. But the tendency to say, well, I don't know if I can afford to fertilize. I should probably buy the cheapest seed I can get. You know what I should do? I should skimp over here and cut corners over here. Cutting corners and skimping, especially when it comes down to agronomic inputs, is one of the silliest things you can do. Ladies and gentlemen, our biggest asset, if we are farm people, if we are agricultural producers, if we are ag folks, it all starts and ends with the soil. There is no ag, there is no food, there is no humanity without healthy soil. And so I was at this field day and I followed an agronomist clever gal named Missy Bauer out of Michigan. She's an agronomist with uh, Farm Journal Publications. And I followed her and I wanted to be an agronomist. I turned out to be an ag econ guy instead, but I like soil. And you know what I told these folks? You cannot mistreat your soil and skimp your way to prosperity by avoiding spending money on your inputs. Do not abuse your soil and think of it as a bank where you can just go and take loans out because eventually this is gonna cause you great harm. Skipping your way to prosperity, especially when it comes down to mistreating your soil, is going to come back to bite you and you'll never be prosperous, even when prices get good again. That's my closing thought. Can't skip your way to prosperity. Spend money on things that make you smarter and richer. And in agriculture, I think you got to keep getting smarter. And what makes you richer? Taking care of the what takes care of you. And that would be your soil. I'm Damian Mason. This is the Business of Agriculture podcast. We talked about what's in the news and what's in my head. Lots of stuff out of the news. A little bit of what's out of my head. Thanks for joining me. Till next time.